0: There are many issues that plague youth. The Church acts as a safe haven. It provides a place where youth can come together to hear the Word of God. Upper Room Media presents to you this Youth Talk, delivered from Sydney, Australia. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So. The verse comes from chapter 2, chapter 2 of the Song of Songs, and the, there are two lovers. So the, the first lover symbolizes God, and the second lover symbolizes the human soul. And they are so desperately wanting to be together, and it is the greatest romance that, that we just sung together. And the verse says, catch us the little foxes. Catch us, the little foxes. That spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. You know, like before we talk about the little foxes in terms of the sins that might start off like small, but they actually can grow. The way that the church fathers understood this verse is they they had heresies in mind. So the little foxes are the heresies that would creep into the vineyard, which is the church, and they creep with stealth, and they deceive the believers, and they take them away from God. They're the little foxes. And who is to catch us, as in God and the human soul, the foxes? They're the the leaders of the church, the servants of the church, the priests of the church. They're to catch the foxes by contending against them with reasoned arguments, to actually reveal the lies that are in the heresies and the true doctrine which is God's doctrine and so they catch the little foxes and they catch them by the tails so a bit, that's a bit of the background because it's got a lot to do with our topic here At the end of the day the little foxes take take us away from our faith. The little foxes attack faith. not all sins go, straight for faith so like some predatorial animals when they seek a prey they go straight for here okay because this is where the lifeblood is and our lifeblood is in our faith and that's why it says our grapes are tender faith is tender faith is a very tender plant i want to talk to you about Seven little foxes, but before that, I want to tell you a nice you a of a nice story that you already know. You know Samson? Samson's one of the most unholiest holy people that were ever alive. So during his unholy times, you know he was a judge of Israel. He's anointed as a judge of Israel. But he was known for being quite flirtatious. And to make matters worse, he would like just go through girlfriends like it was loose change. And he seemed to have an infatuation with um, foreigners. So it's not like he wanted, like, you know, Israelite girlfriends. He really, really was obsessed with Philistine girls, obsessed with them. And of course, the last one was Delilah. But before Delilah, there was this woman who, who took his fancy and basically he went and he, he forced his parents, basically, to go,
1: go and ask for her
0: hand in marriage. And he did. And he was, he left her for a little while, went on a journey, killed a lion on the way, and then wanted to come back to his wife. Now, the Philistines, because they don't like him, they gave his wife to his best man. And he found out about it, and he got really angry, and he did something very cool. He caught 300 foxes. I don't know how he caught 300 foxes. He got them by the tail, tail to tail, so 150 pairs, tied the tails together, and then set them on fire. So he set 300 foxes on fire. And the church father said, this is a, the perfect example of what we ought to do to the little foxes. Why from the tail? Because you can't, you can't just attack a fox by its cute little face. That's not how the sin comes. The sin comes as quite tolerable. I imagine a little kid who doesn't know the difference between... Any creature would think of foxes like a dog, like a cat. It's indiscernible, but the tail, the tail is a marker. Grabbing them by the tail is revealing that that ugly side, that ugly side of sin. Or for us, if you follow the head to the tail, it's the ultimate consequence. So what's the ultimate consequence? So we look at seven, seven foxes. I want you to think about these foxes. I'll introduce them in a very sweet way. In a way that we might even meet these on a daily basis. The first one is I don't want to wait in line. I don't want to wait in line. I don't want to wait until it's my turn. This is taking too long. Prayed, I don't get an answer straight away. What do you think the fox is? Impatience. I think it's safe to say that we are tempted with impatience. Impatience is a little fox. If we cut to the chase, but we'll talk a little bit about it, it's gonna cost me my faith if I don't get it by the tail and see it for what it it really is. You know, impatience, remember King Saul? He was a lovely man. He was a lovely man. He was actually a beautiful man And if he were a good king to the very end of his life, he would have been said to be a man after God's own heart. Samuel the prophet said to him, I'm going to come to you in seven days time and then I'll offer the sacrifice on your behalf and you can go to war against the Philistines. Samuel's never lied to Saul before. Saul doubted him. He waited. The thing is, he waited to the seventh day, but he didn't wait until Samuel came on the seventh day. He offered a sacrifice. He did a priestly role that wasn't his to do. And Samuel was very displeased with him. And that was the first of two deadly mistakes that would cost Saul the Spirit of God leaving him. Impatience is the same sin that the children of Israel committed when they refused to wait for Moses 40 days. So notice the periods that I'm giving you. One week, seven days, 40 days. Seven days and 40 days. Impatience has a time frame. If I fail, I fail. That's it. There's no, not necessarily a round two with impatience. Abraham and Sarah. You know, Sarah got impatient. Abraham said, I don't think it's a good idea, but he listened to his wife because he loved her. Maybe he loved her too much at that point in time. The baby that they had, which wasn't Isaac, What's his name? Of course you know his name. Of course. Blunder of blunder. Blunder of blunders in Abraham's life. Horror. Horror. Horrible mistake. And it cost Abraham too personally. You know Abraham. You know how he offered up Isaac of his own free will? Do you remember that? That was glorious, wasn't it? Ishmael he offered up against his will. He had to endure heartbreak. Because God said, listen to your wife, Ishmael has to go. He's his son. Impatience costs dearly. It costs me my faith. In the wilderness, when the children of Israel didn't wait for God, it cost them their faith. They apostatized and they made a substitute for God. So when I don't wait for God, then I'm going to go to whoever or whatever can help me. That's the danger of impatience. And in all honesty, that person will be Satan. There's no other. Because he waits for when God, in human language, fails. God fails when I fail him. I give him an F on his report card. And I can give God an F on his report card when he doesn't come through for me in the time frame that I set for him. And so that's impatience. What about this one? Try to quickly recall, I'll give you 10 seconds. I want you to recall 10 amazing things God has done in your life. You have 10 seconds. Okay, those 10 things that you remembered, who got to 10? Did you get to 10? More than 10? Less than 10? Who got to five? How about this one who got to one yeah okay that one amazing thing that God has done in your life when was the last time you remembered it could have been today maybe it was last week maybe it was last year what happens when I don't remember forgetfulness you know in the Psalms of David when he remembers the children of Israel you know what their Achilles heel was they forgot what God did for them. And it's outrageous forgetfulness. I've never walked through, literally, a at sea. Less than a week later, they had forgotten. Why am I doing these? Why? What kind of forgetfulness am I talking about? Actually, apart from disease, what kind of forgetfulness am I talking about? When we say forgetfulness, if it's not a disease, what is it? If it's not a disease, what is it? Ignorance? Ingratitude. It's a type of ingratitude, a type of ignorance, but I'm waiting for it. You know how we did that little exercise and I remembered 10 things in 10 seconds, if I could? Why didn't I remember those things every day? What's the real reason? Too busy? They're not important. They didn't change my life. Why didn't I remember them? I'll say it, but it, it's like it's a, like I'll talk for me, and if if it's not true for you, then you're amazing. I'm not. I didn't want to. It's willful forgetfulness. You know they passed through the Red Sea, right? Do you realize that? You know they saw ten plagues before that. One, two, three. You can't forget. I played the flies. You can't forget seeing boils on the Egyptians, not on you. You cannot forget seeing hail, fiery hail come down. You cannot forget parting to the Red Sea. And then they grumble. What? This is the forgive me the stupidity. They grumble about what? What's this? We don't have water to drink. And so instead of saying, "Can we have water?" they grumble. And then they grumble about food. And they ask this flippant question. Can God give us food to eat? You're kidding. And then they say, shouldn't we have stayed in Egypt? And they say outrageous things like that. They didn't want to remember. What's the fox? The fox of forgetfulness says, you're a human. You just forget a lie it's a beautiful lie i'll be honest with myself i don't want to remember because if i remember i have to live in a certain way first of all i have to live by faith i can't i can't distrust him i can't distrust him but i don't want that i don't want to to remember all the things that god has done for me I can't be bothered because then I would be more inclined to stay away from sin. It's easier to forget. All forgetfulness is willful. We are all human and we all do forget. But that's because we don't make the effort to remember. Do we write down the things? Do we go back to them very often? Imagine this man, one of my favourite men in the Bible. Demon possessed with a legion of demons. Like, some fathers think 2,000 demons. The Lord Jesus comes along, liberates him. The guy used to cut himself. No one could restrain him. He was living in the tombs. And then Jesus casts out legions of demons from him. Think of another, the leper, that couldn't see family or friends and couldn't even be around anyone. Think of Mary Magdalene. Think of anyone that God did amazing healings for. The paralytic, the man born blind, can they forget what God did for them? I mean, they could, right? But if you forgot that you didn't have eyes, what does that make you? You're just dumb. Like, you're actually being dumb. Lazarus, can he forget? Pick a day in Lazarus's life where he can forget that he was dead. It's, it's very likely he saw Hades. It's, it's very likely. Can he forget it? Just pick a day. How can there be a day when he forgets? In our life, we have huge things like that. We don't forget them. We forget them. We don't value them. We don't value them. That fox is going to lead me to unbelief. And that's why I get weak in my faith. That's why every single time a problem happens in my life, there we go. There we go. We lack the faith, we get shaken. It's okay. God is so kind. God will still come through, do another miracle and divine intervention. Up we go. Now we're strong. Never going to doubt you again, God. Next problem. Down we go again. And God is so sweet. I'll pick you up again. But you know, there was a time before it and a time before it. Until we learn. You know, what happened with the disciples. Remember, it's a funny story, but it's true. And it's, it's funny in my life, but again, it's sad. Funny and sad at the same time. You know he was with them on the boat, and there was a storm. Yeah? And then eventually they woke him up, and then he said to them, what's to be scared of? And the same thing happened again, but he wasn't with them. And then he walks past. Two storms. Yeah? And they don't get the the message. Storm, boat, Jesus is there. Nothing to be scared of. What about the fish? They go fishing, they don't catch anything. They catch it. Then after the resurrection, same thing. Cast it on the other side. Oh, gee, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Cast it. Really, they're, they're oblivious to what's going on. The same, the same instructions given. Cast on the other side. They do. They get fish. Oh, wow. It's the, it's, we're just like them. It's a human thing, but it's a fox. It's the fox of forgetfulness, but it'll steal my faith. It leads to unbelief. Another fox. Let's just say the name, the, fo- the name of the fox, okay? I don't know how to say this one. Complaining. You know, this is the, one of the most underestimated foxes. The, the only reason the children of Israel didn't make it into the promised land is because they complained. They complained. It had to do with their impatience. It had to do with their forgetfulness. But it was murmuring. That's all it was, murmuring. But, but this is a very real thing, so it's worth a bit of time. What were they complaining about? They had legitimate reasons for complaining. Don't judge them. Have you ever been in a wilderness, like where there's nothing? Okay, you haven't, okay? Have you ever been without shelter and you're living in like, you know, tents and and you're out there every day or whatever their tabernacles were made out of? No, you, you haven't. Poor people, have you ever endured slavery? under Pharaoh before? You haven't. Okay? Have you had to exercise such great faith as to leave where you were and to go to an unknown land that you know you've I never mean been for? I'm trying to make excuses for them, okay? But you know what they saw every day? Pillar of cloud. Pillar of fire. You know what they ate every day? Non-human food. They ate manna coming down every day and even before the manna and even before the water that struck the rock they had 10 <coughs> plagues passed through the red sea and they had the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud they complained but when they had the water and the food you know what they complained about we want meat that's that's actually and then they said other things like it's it's laughable we want cucumbers and we want the special things of egypt that's not what they really wanted when you hear it it's laughable I promise you, they mentioned like, I don't know if they mentioned garlic as well, and (laughs) cucumbers, and then they said this really, it's a very sweet thing. Sweet, because like, you know kids complain, right? But adult kids, when they complain, they're going to lose their faith. When kids complain, it means, you know when my kids complain, I get hurt, okay? Because it means you don't trust me. You've lost your faith in me. Like when they complain about dumb things too. Like, what are you complaining about? Like you actually don't believe either that I love you or that I have the ability to give you what you want. So they complain. That means they distrust me. They said to God, or they said to Moses, they were angry with him, we miss being next to the pots of meats that the Egyptians used to make. Because you know they were next to it, they didn't eat from it. So they just... Nice smell, but they're slaves. They didn't get to eat. So what are you really missing? You know, what were they missing? What were they missing? What was all that complaining a cover for? They even went so far as to say, why did you take us out of Egypt? Weren't there graves there? Could have just died there, mate. Why bring us out to die here with an even greater lack of dignity? What were they really complaining about? Because by the way, the manna was fulfilling. The manna was actually fulfilling. What do you think they were complaining about? You know every complaint if you could just turn it into a prayer, right? Like think of complaining as an exclamation mark at the end of it? Turn it into a prayer by asking the question. Yeah? So every time I complain, what could I do instead of complaining? Instead of saying, Dad, I hate you, okay, Um, you don't give me chocolate when I ask, flip it. Dad, I love you, can I have some chocolate? Yeah, okay, so there's no excuse for complaining. Complaining is a choice. But what did they really want? What were they really complaining about? Was it the cucumbers? Did they really miss smelling the meat? They loved Egypt. They loved Egypt. Egypt was in their heart. And that's why they died in the wilderness, because they didn't want to go in the promised land. God was begging them, love me. They said, no, thank you. We'll love Egypt. We want to go back. And they actually said that. And on a few occasions, they actually rallied for a leader. And they said, see you later, Moses were going back. And sometimes they tried to kill Moses. They wanted to go back to Egypt. That's what I do. Why am I complaining? Why am I complaining? Probably, probably, I'm complaining because I would like to go back to Egypt. I would like to go back to sin. What am I complaining about? What am I complaining about? A difficult life? You want an easy one? What happens? Imagine if God listened to my complaining, and every time I complained, he gave me what I wanted. If I listened to my children every single time they complained and I gave in to them, they would have bodies that would be destroyed. Teeth gone. God knows what their health would be like. God knows if they'd learn anything in life, okay? Same thing with us. We complain because we want our desires satisfied. That's the truth. Because if we wanted our desires satisfied by God in His timing, we wouldn't complain, we just pray. God knows we have desires. God would love to satisfy our desires, but He would love to do it His way, which is the best way for us, And in his time, which is the best timing for us. But complaining is only a sign that I'd rather have it my way than God's way. And that's Egypt. That's Egypt. That's living apart from God. Complaining steals faith. The next one is the fourth one. The fourth one is... You know the good old Aussie mantra, she'll be right, yeah? It's that permissiveness, you know permissiveness. We let a lot of stuff slide by. Can that, can that actually like threaten my faith? Remember faith is like a tender, tender, um, tender vine or tender fruit of the vine. Do you remember King Solomon? He gave himself license to do something which doesn't seem that bad. Everyone else was doing it, right? What was it? What was everyone else doing? You know, at his level, all the political leaders were doing something. That's just what they were doing at that time. What did King Solomon do? Wives and concubines. What was that? Wives and concubines. Yeah, it's called building political alliances. Don't don't name it like that, please. <laughs> okay? That's all it is. It's just building building friendships, building political alliances. You know, you, you know, I'll marry your daughter, and we've got a nice trade deal. I marry your daughter and I've got your back and you've got my back. You know, when it comes to, you know, military combat. What's wrong with that? You've got to be a leader, right? You've got to look after your country. We justify permissiveness in many ways, especially if everyone else is doing it. Think of the permissiveness that we have. What we watch, what we look at, may cost us our faith in the long run may cost us our faith you know king solomon you know with all that um all those political alliances he did the unthinkable the wisest human you know what he did okay bowed down to idols and offered incense to idols and he lived like that for a good couple of decades But only because he's David's son did God have compassion on him and he repented right at the end of his life. Imagine Solomon had gone to hell. You know, and the thing is, he didn't learn from his dad. You know David? David was was obviously a man after God's own heart. But, you know, he felt a little bit sorry for himself at one stage. Remember how he had, well, who was his first wife? She wasn't a very good woman, but That's the luck of the draw, mate. Who was his first one? (laughs) Who was his first one? Do you remember her name? Yeah, Mikal. Okay, Mikal. Saul's daughter. Now, she wasn't good, so God closed her womb. Wouldn't allow her to have kids. So, I don't know, but let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. he met an adorable woman. Okay, maybe she was like the substitute that God said, you know what, because of that, but I need offspring from you. No, no, for the sake of offspring, for the sake of David's offspring, Abigail, stunning woman, absolutely stunning woman. Okay, the Bible describes her as beautiful. Any woman the Bible describes as beautiful, God knows what that means. Okay, and wise, wise. Be happy with, you don't need, if you find a beautiful and a wise woman, I don't, you, what do you need? Yeah, what do you need? If she's your wife, what do you need? Right? He gives himself permission because he feels a bit sorry for himself, right? I'm on the run, had a difficult life, mum and dad never really loved me, I was anointed king, king Saul tried to kill me a billion times, but I'm a good guy, I could have taken his head off on at least a couple of occasions. I like this one too, and I like that one too. You know, King David gave himself license and he broke God's law. Moses said, when you have a king, it's one wife. All those wives that he had, the guy was a a holy man, but as a dad, that decision (coughs) destroyed the lives of his children. You had one son commit incest with his half-sister. You had another son take vengeance and kill that son. And you had the last one want to take the throne from his dad. And then even in Solomon's day, the same thing. It's a messed up family. Messed up his fault. Because he broke God's covenant. He gave himself permissiveness. Should we keep going? That wasn't enough, right? That wasn't enough. You had all of that, and then in your glory, you take a look. Oh, you're lazy. That's another permissiveness. You're a king, in those days you go out to war. I give myself permission to relax, to chill out, to be lazy. We have to be very, very careful. If If I give myself permission to relax, to chill out, to go on holiday, to have a mental break, where am I going? Who am I going with? What am I going to be doing? How long am I going to be doing it for? It's not a, a buffet of whatever comes to my eyes, whatever comes to my hands, wherever my feet take me. That permissiveness, he saw one look. It's just a look, right? Hands up if you're better than David. No one's going to put their hand up. It's just a look. Like, it's just a harmless look from a very, very happily married man. You think, right? It's just a look. The a look gives him the right that sense of entitlement i can if i want the guy's not home i'll just go get her, and i will just there we go done give myself permission to do what i like better cover it up too and so you're gonna go adultery murder you know he didn't just kill one man right He made Uriah, her husband, stand in the front line, push the front line. The front line probably had hundreds of people. Let the archers take their shots. Boom. That's why God said to David when he wanted to build the temple, you can't. I love you so much, but you can't. Your hand's full of blood. That incident alone, what are you doing? You give yourself permission to kill your own men, to cover up for what you gave yourself permission to later. Can you see, when, when I give myself permission for a very small sin, a small action, a small look, a small going out. If I give myself, odds are, if the pattern of permission continues, next time I'll give myself permission for something a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and before you know, I'll be somewhere where I never thought I'd be. And then David, obviously, for the rest of his life, suffered from that and had to offer repentance from that. It's funny, after that, he wouldn't even give himself permission to sleep. He flipped it on his on its head. The fifth one, the fifth one. This is one that no one can see. No one can see. If you really want, like, remember, all of these all of these foxes that we're talking about, they're destroying your romance with God. They're destroying your intimate relationship with God. One thing that can put off a relationship with God, and the Holy Spirit will basically be quenched will resist his work in us, he will flee from us in terms of his activity in us, is judging others. Judging others. I want you to think. Don't say anything out loud. In the last week, have you judged anyone? In your head, just think. Don't smile. No, no one was smiling. (laughs) Have you judged anyone in the last week? Have you judged anyone in the last week? How many times have you judged people in the last week Any thought of judging ruins my relationship with God. It puts out the work of the Holy Spirit in me. Any thought of judging means I'm not repentant. Any thought of judging means my relationship with God can't be that loving relationship. It's like I'm pushing him away. You know, judging is so deadly. Right now, if there's anyone that I don't like, if there's anyone that I've been judging, I have to fight with those thoughts, have to take the fox by the tail and realise where the thoughts of judging are going to lead me and burn it, set it on fire. Where Will judging lead? So we said those other four foxes, they all lead to one and the same path. They attack my faith. what, What does judging do? If you've ever experienced, or you've ever seen it in action, Where does it go? Where's the Where's the last stop of judging? Pride. What was that? Pride. It definitely involves pride. But if you judge someone, where will you end up if you continue to judge that person? Hate. What was that? Yeah, hate. Hell. That That's equal to that. Hate equals hell. God said, if We do not from our heart forgive, neither will he forgive us. Hatred equals hell, one and the same. And so, isn't it interesting? You can love God, and then the devil's not going to be... He's not going to come and say to you, God's bad. He's not going to come and say to you, ah, do this or that sin. But he can just send one person into your life that gives you a hard time, you judge... Keep judging, keep judging before you know it. You actually hate them. You actually hate them. And there goes your faith. It's one and the same thing as denying the faith, hatred. Okay, the sixth one. Have you ever eaten too much that your tummy hurts? Have you ever binge watched that you fell asleep while you're watching? Yeah? What's that called? Gluttony, if it involves food, what's the, what's the overarching? Yeah, it's, it's indulgence, or we can say it's, it's intemperance. Yeah, what was that? I was going to say procrastination. Sometimes it can involve procrastination, but it's, it's a kind of like, there's just no control, man. There's no breaks. There's no breaks. There's no limits. Very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. The end of intemperance is betrayal. That's it. The end of intemperance is betrayal. Think about it. A married husband or wife. If they don't control their conversations with other men and women, if that's their pattern, if not physically, they will emotionally cheat on their partner. If they don't control their touches, married or unmarried, inevitably it will lead to a dog. If I don't control, the Fathers make it very clear, if I don't control, the words coming out of my mouth, if just whatever I want comes out, and if whatever I want goes in, and I don't control my belly, these two are the prime markers that I don't stand a chance against Satan when he attacks here. So the control of the mind, and that's how we betray God. We betray God here. We betray him here. Like Judas, we sell him. We sell him. We betray him here when our mouths and our tummy and everything else in our life is without any control. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self control. One of the foxes, and because it's sweet, that fox is so beautiful when he comes our way because he just wants us to indulge. He wants us to, you know, have that second and third magnum ice cream. You know, there's nothing like that. You know and, and just indulge indulgence okay love of pleasure is against the love of God but it's a fox because he's cute and adorable he's cute and adorable the very last one I don't care I wonder if you've said that in the last month about anything I don't care I don't care I wonder if you've said it all year. I wonder if you've said it more than once. I don't care. You know, sometimes we don't say I don't care, but we act it. I don't care. Like, like praying, reading the Bible. I don't care. Like, by I don't care, mean means like I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like it's important um, for whatever reason, so I'm just not going to do it. I don't care. Um, I upset people. I don't care. They can get over it. Um, I know I'm battling with a particular sin. I confess it every now and again. But all in all, I don't really care. Like, I'm not really going to make like a concerted effort against it. I don't care. Like, there's some stuff in my life. don't care. Uh, my studies, I don't care. My work, I don't care. Uh, the future, I don't care. In a bad word. like in a bad way. I don't care. You know, it depends on who you are. The most hurtful thing you can say to a person that you're in love with is, I don't care about you. The most hurtful thing you can say to a child is, I don't care about you. I don't care. Indifference. Where does that lead to? Okay, I'll tell you two very graphic stories, okay? But I won't say them in a graphic way, okay? But they are very confronting in the Bible. There are about two two blokes who didn't care. If you're a child of God, and you're so dear to Him, and you love Him so much, and something happens, and you veered off the path, and God brings you to your attention, okay, that this is something that you need to come back to, come back to God, and you ignore that because I don't care, what then happens You end up with this heart that the Bible calls a hardened heart or a rebellious heart. There was once, you know, in Moses' day, the Midianite women came into the camp and they basically got some men, you know, to bow down to idols and commit adultery with them. And that was at the advice of Balaam, Balaam the prophet. It was a wicked a wicked man, obviously, and was brought out by Balak. He wasn't like a prophet-prophet, but God used him. He was a Gentile. He used him for a reason, but at the end of the day, he was brought out by money, and he told King Balak, I know how to curse the children of God, get them to fall into adultery. And so he sends the Midianite women. Anyway, it's really easily solved by God. God brings them to their senses. He allows a plague, or he allows them to be chastised in the camp. Um... And the Levites, the Levites go around, and they basically anyone who's still sinning after Moses broke the commandments and had an opportunity to repent, okay, those people were to be put to death. But if you stopped sinning, nothing would happen to you. Incredibly generous of God, because according to the law of Moses, if you commit adultery, you get you, you stoned to death. But God said, "Don't." The ones who still sin, execute them. The unrepentant. So there was this, this guy, couldn't care less that Moses was right there. Pillar of fire was right there. And in front of Moses, he got the Midianite woman, went into the tent, and couldn't care less who was there. And then Phinehas the priest went in and took the two of them, the Midianite woman and the man who was sitting with her, and speared them through with the javelin, the both of them, to appease God. Here's an example, a very confronting example, of someone that doesn't care, doesn't care, like, at what point do you care? That's, that's what I'm asking. If I entertain that indifference, when will I start caring? Or what will I say I don't care about? Another example is in the Church of Corinth. You know, St. Paul was a miracle worker, obviously. And he worked lots of miracles. This guy saw St. Paul work miracles. And then he decided, let me push the envelope and let me do something that even people outside the church don't do. Let me take my stepmom." As a wife. And be proud of it at church. You know, how do you get to be like that? Be done dumb? Like St. Paul. You know, and St. Paul <coughs> spoke to him as someone that doesn't care. He said, that person, you give him to Satan. That person is not to come back inside the church until they repent. Let him be given to the one that he gave himself to for the destruction of the flesh that person is to be given to satan for him to do whatever he wants with that person's body unless he comes or until he comes back to god and then he repented and he was accepted back in the church but he spoke like that to someone that doesn't care so this fox of i don't care is very liberating like it's it's awesome not to care about anything it's awesome, yeah? I do whatever I want, whenever I want. No one tells me what to do. That's the kind of sentiment. That indifference leads to the rebellion against God. All of these seven foxes, we meet them. We meet them. But these are maybe not the sins that we confess when we go to confession. And maybe they don't trouble us. But if I find myself impatient or complaining, or if I find myself... Permissive, or if judging is just what I do normally, or any of those seven foxes, they need to be burned. Burned means I look at what's the end. If I continue like this, if I don't put on the brakes, if I don't take an active, violent approach to these sins, I may not be a Christian in years' time. That's what's on the line. I may not be a christian or if i am a christian because i love god i'm not going to stop being a christian it'll just be a name it'll just be a title but i won't actually love god and i won't actually trust god fake christian there's lots and lots of fake christians in the world they don't deeply love god And they don't really believe in him. And the evidence is they just live their life like everybody else. They're not real Christians. That's what's on the line. That's what's on the line. Glory be to God forever. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.